Take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you are following our study of 1 Peter, the fact that we are doing this intermittently requires a little extra uh, strength on your part to keep up. Uh, you have other preachers coming in and preaching, and then I pop up every now and then. And when I do, I'm just going to pick up where we left off the last time we looked at First Peter. We're just going section by section through this letter. So uh, follow me as we do that. I'll give you a little uh, review and, and uh, show you how this is sort of structured here where we are. But let's read it first. Uh, chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 13, and I'll read through verse 17. 1 Peter 2 at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. The purpose of 1 Peter prepares us to be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ when we are encountering suffering, but even more narrowly when we are encountering suffering specifically because of our living out the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a follower of Jesus can get you into trouble. It would be wonderful to think that, you know, we're nice guys. Everybody should like Christians. Christians love everybody. And they should love us back. <laughs> That's not the, what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is a clear distinction and even uh, opposition between those who have the light of Christ in their lives and those who are still living in the darkness of their sin. So we who have come to know Christ by his sovereign grace, working in our hearts, drawing us to trust in him, uh, we're going to seek to honor the Lord in our lives. And that's what Peter wants to tell us. But he wants to tell us to equip us to be ready for those who don't agree with us and even oppose us and may even make life hard on us. We've talked about the ways that can happen. You could lose your job or a promotion because you take a stand on biblical principles that most of the people in the world don't agree with. And of course, we can go on and on with examples of how that could be. So we're concerned about being able to live faithfully to Christ when others can be downright hostile. 
But we also, I've said this repeatedly, we also are concerned about our children and our grandchildren. We just saw that the end of the psalm that we just read about uh, God's blessings being upon your children's children. What kind of blessings will those be? They should be that the children learn from their parents and now the children are teaching their children how to live for Christ in a world that rejects Christ. Or as we've said with our theme for the whole book, it's about living out a life of holiness in the midst of a hostile world. So Peter's working on that. And we come to another section here where he is focusing on one specific word in particular. That's the word submit. Or as the ESV says, uh, be in submission to. Uh, Different versions of that, depending on what translation you're using. Be, Be subject to, I should say, in the ESV. That term is found at least six times, beginning in the passage we've read this morning and beyond that to the end of the letter. Be subject to, be in submission to. Now there's a popular word for our culture. I'm being quite sarcastic when I say that. I don't want to submit to anybody. I live in America, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Not exactly. There's a right freedom and there's a twisted view of freedom. And we'll see that. So uh, in in this passage, it's part of a larger passage that goes through uh, verse 7 of chapter 3. And in each one of these many sections, the first of which we're looking at today, he's going to tell us about being subject. In the section we've read today, how to be submissive to, be subject to, your civil authorities. In the next section, he's going to talk about how we work that out when it comes to work, our jobs, beginning at verse 18, going to the end of the chapter. And then the first part of chapter 3 tells us about how to be subject to one another within the context of marriage. Those are three pretty big aspects of our lives, aren't they? Civil government, and our labor, our work, our jobs, and marriage. How does this principle of subjection operate in in the Christian message and uh, beliefs that we hold to? Well, let's look at this first one, and that has to do with civil government. And there's four principles here. I just want you to note we, we can only touch on each one of these. First one is our duty to the government. We have a specific responsibility when it comes to our civil government. And so he tells us in verse 13 and into the beginning of verse 14, we are to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Submit to your civil authorities. We don't live in a perfect world. Nobody in this world is perfect. And that includes our civil leaders. They have a lot of responsibility placed upon them. And the the fact that we can vote in our civil leaders is a wonderful privilege. 
But we want to vote, of course, for and, and seek to, to have as much as we can people of integrity, people who take seriously the Constitution of our country. But it doesn't always work very well because we're all flawed. And the people that we elect as a nation that we elect don't always uh, give us great joy. They can be very discouraging. Even the ones that we vote for can, can uh, disappoint us. So in Peter's day, when he's saying all civil authorities, he's saying all. And he basically says, look, from the emperor, which was their leader in their times in the Roman Empire, from the emperor all the way down to the governors, and that would trickle on down through all the, uh, the soldiers. Anybody who's got some authority placed upon them, from the lowest to the highest level, Peter says, submit to them. Let that sink in. The emperor. Well, who was the emperor in Peter's day? It really didn't matter because none of them were stellar examples of leadership. But it all in likelihood was Nero. Nero was the emperor from about uh, 55 AD to um, uh, 45 AD to 58, uh, no, 55 AD to 68 AD, sorry. And the reason I say 68 AD is because uh, he apparently took his own life at that point after uh, several failed marriages, including the last one being to a young boy. Nero was also the one who persecuted Christians uh, after the fire that destroyed so much of Rome. And uh, Nero decided, well, they're going to blame me for this. So he needed a scapegoat. So he decided Christians would be the ones to, to blame for the fire. And he began persecuting Christians, lighting some of them on fire to illuminate Rome at night. All kinds of terrible things done by that man, the emperor. And yet, Peter says, submit to them. Submit to Nero. I would think that Peter's readers are going, what? But Peter says that's God's way of establishing order in our universe by having leaders that we should follow their laws and we should honor their positions. And he says, do that for the Lord's sake. I think that's a very helpful addition there. You're not doing this, you know, because you really think your leader is great. You're doing this because God has given you this instruction. Remember when Jesus took the coin and he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Pay your taxes was the context in which he said that in Matthew chapter 22, verse 21. Give Caesar his proper due, meaning your civil government. And you are to submit regardless of whether you like your authorities or agree with your authorities. And in our times, we could say from the president and, and uh, Congress all the way down to our local elected officials, our police, we need to submit to them. Peter was writing because 
there, there was not a very great leadership in the world, morally speaking, spiritually speaking, in his day. And I don't know that we've done a whole lot of improvement since then. But that's the principle. That's the principle. Submit to your leaders. And if you think that having no government is better, where we all just do what we want to do, keep in mind that anarchy is the worst possible form of government. No government is what anarchy is. You don't want that. Peter is really saying that even a poor form of government is better than no government. There is some degree of stability there, imperfect as it is. Submit, even though there are exceptions to that, to that um, command. And this is where maybe you feel like we can get a little uh, un better understanding and maybe even relief about this principle. When a law or laws require you to sin, that's crossing a line. That's where we would have to contest that. And that's where we have to say, as the apostles did in Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than men. Remember they, they including Peter, he was in this group, and, and that bunch was put in jail because they were preaching Christ. We heard about that a while ago in the missionary report. People in Asia are being persecuted. Many are being put in jail precisely because they're Christians. It's still happening today. We haven't seen it like that here yet, but it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. And they let them out of jail and they started preaching again, Peter and, and his gang. And once again, they were set, told, look, you're going back to jail if you keep doing this. And that's when they said, Acts 5.29, that's where they said we must obey God rather than man. It came to that point. Up to that point, they were doing what the authorities were telling them. But then when they said this requirement, that would require them to sin. We can't stop preaching the gospel. We've been commanded by the Lord of the universe to do that. And so that struggle continued and has ever since. You think of examples of that, of course. I gave you Peter and the apostles, but this one other example is Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, they were commanded uh, to bow down to the king and they refused to do that, and they got thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to, do, to obey a king's order, but normally would, they would have to obey, but they were re being required to turn away from the God they loved and served, and instead they had to bow down to the king. And of course they said, we can't do that. We worship the God of heaven and earth. We worship the true and living God. We don't worship you, our king. And 
you can see how the Bible gives us good examples of exceptions to that, but keep in mind, those are exceptions. Second thing to notice, our duty to the government then is to submit. The second thing is, there, what's the purpose of government? This is just very simple, sort of an introduction here to how Christians should look at the, the role of government. The beginning of verse, four, I mean the end of verse 14, their job is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Punish those who do evil, praise those who do good. That's a real simple, but basic and important bottom line responsibility for our leaders. To praise, but to punish as well. You punish those who do evil. Good laws, and in many countries there are some good civil laws that for the most part are, are based on the the uh, laws of God, the Ten Commandments, especially the, the verses, uh, commandments five through ten. And so punishing them means that these good laws will hold lawbreakers accountable when they break the laws. They are accountable for their crimes, but when government becomes soft on crimes, that only produces, guess what? More crimes. Letting offenders out of jail for some almost silly reasons, rather than keeping them where they ought to be for whatever crimes they've committed. And then, of course, the opposite of that is to praise those who do good, to encourage people to obey those laws. Now remember what Romans 13 says. Romans 13 is Paul's version of what Peter is saying here. Gives us a little more detail, verses 1 through 7 of Romans 13. Let me read that. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. He, remember, he is the, the political governmental leader, whoever that might be. He is the servant of God. They may not believe in God, but they are servants of God whether they recognize it or not. Sorry for my additional commentary there. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I was thinking about our police when I was thinking about 
praising those who do good. Every once in a while on the local news, you'll see um, the police giving out an award of some sort to citizens, thanking them and acknowledging them for some good deed they did. Maybe they uh, rescued someone who was uh, in the, the uh, river, you know, the Tom Bibby River, and they're going downstream and they don't know how to swim, and the police are called and they come out there and they get the person out. Not the police, but uh, somebody rescues them. And whoever rescues them, the police want to thank them for what they did. They risked their own lives to save this person who was probably going to drown. And so we have those kind of things, acknowledging things done by civic groups and, and so on. You know that kind of thing that, go, that happens. And that's a, that's a way of encouraging and showing appreciation because something good was done and they acknowledge the one who did the good. Note that scripture does not say it is the government's job to do a whole lot of things that the government seems to be doing. For instance, I'll just give you this example, education. Is it the, the government's job to educate our children? Well, that's not what the Bible tells us. It doesn't say anything like that. It does say it's the family's job, and the family can choose whatever way they want to do that to educate their children. They can do it at home exclusively. They can do a mixture of teaching things that they want to teach at home with some school. They can do it at private schools. They can do it in public schools. The parents have to make that choice given the options that they have. But the government, the government is not designed to do a lot of things very well. And I know I could ask for an amen and I would get it, but I'm not asking for one right now. Uh, so we have to re maybe we have to rethink, what, what should we insist on the government doing and what should we insist on the government not doing? That's something that Christians have to, to uh, consider. Uh, just for your uh, information, um, I'm saying that church and state are each have their own spheres of responsibility. And it's the church's job to stick to the church's job and not to start taking on the role of political opinions and influence as a church. Now, individuals can do that. One clear example of that would be there are a lot of churches that will invite uh, political candidates or people who are already holding office, maybe they're running for office again, they'll have them come up and stand in the pulpit and say whatever it is they're going to say. Our thinking is in, in evangelical, mostly evangelical circles, I hope, is that uh, that's not the church's role. The church's role is to teach the Word of God, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so the church has to communicate what God's Word teaches. And we don't need to, to add this other aspect of the church's role in, in, as a church. Remember, as a church. Individual Christians is a different story. Now, if you want to do a little more reading on that, you could begin by going back at your, in your Westminster Confession of Faith. You all have one, right? Right? If you don't, let me know and I'll order one for you, okay? I'm serious. Um, uh, read chapter 23 of the civil government in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's very short. But here's another resource. 
I have a book here that I'm going to show you, and you can look at it after church if you want to. You won't believe this. Politics According to the Bible by an evangelical Bible scholar, Wayne Grudem. Some of you are familiar with that name. He's not Presbyterian, but he's close. <laughs> uh, he's, he's real solid, and I've gone through this book. I've taught it, and uh, it's, it's quite good, and it really makes you think through some of the implications of all kinds of facets of, of our lives today and how we can have some biblical principled way of approaching our rather complex political setup today. Politics According to the Bible by Wayne Grudem. Now, third thing I want you to notice, the reason for our duty to government, verses 15 and 16. Why does Peter say what he does? For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. It's God's will. Uh, probably don't, we've, haven't given a lot of thought to that. It's God's will that I submit myself, instead of just complaining all the time, or even being a great supporter and being thoroughly involved in, in someone who's a candidate for an office, not saying that's bad, but we need to first of all realize whatever I do that God is telling me to do here is His will. It's His command for us. We're not really free to negotiate that or to ignore that. God's will is revealed in God's Word. If you want to know God's will, read the Word of God. The Bible speaks to us on all issues of life including government. It tells us enough. It tells us what we need to know. Book of Proverbs has a lot to say about that too, as well as Jesus. And he said, when doing this, you're doing God's will, but you also will be able to silence the ignorant. By ignorant, he's not talking about one's mental abilities. He's talking about whether you know what you need to know or not. The ignorant are those who are foolish people because they don't know the Word of God where the will of God is found. Maybe they don't want to. Well, more than likely, they don't want to. They want to do their will. That's the nature of being an unconverted person. So, in, in being foolish, that, remember, a fool in the Bible is a moral term. Not so much a pejorative it's a statement of fact of one's con moral condition before God. They don't do good in the eyes of God. They do evil. They sin. They speak against Christians, maybe through lies, maybe through mockery. And by our doing good, which means doing God's will, we demonstrate the wisdom of God that produces silence from the ignorant instead of talking evil about us or to us. I think more specifically, this would have to do with a court situation. Maybe uh, a non-Christian has, has put, made charges against you, has brought charges against you, and you're having to defend yourself in court. You bring in witnesses who can attest to your uh, goodness, the fact that you uh, don't lie and that you don't steal and you, have a, uh, you are a person of good reputation, 
Well, that's going to silence the other person because that's going to have the preponderance of, of weight in a decision that's made in that court. The word, by the way, that says silence really could be translated better. It could be translated muzzle. You can muzzle the unbeliever with their accusations and the things that they say about you by the way that you live your life. Last thing to note is, some, is the summary of what he's telling us here. Verse 17, a whole, uh, not a bunch, but a few very quick, short uh, commands here. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Live as free people. Uh, first, uh, first part of verse 16 was saying that. But then when you get to honor everyone, then we have to remember that that's our responsibility as Christians. Not just Christians, but we have to honor everybody. There's a point to which we, they're made in the image of God like we are. Fundamentally, they're really not any different from us as human beings. And in that sense, we need to show respect and dignity that they are given by God, whoever they may be. Even though we may disagree with them strongly, we still have to love them as Christ did. So honor them. Honor everyone, even wicked emperors or kings or queens or presidents. Now, what we're doing here, make this distinction. What we're doing here, we are to honor their positions, though not necessarily their persons. Okay? I have to honor and respect the governor, the president, whoever it is, because of their position even though I may not particularly care for them as a person. Okay? Love the brotherhood, our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 5.21 says we are to submit to one another out of the fear of Christ. And then ultimately fear God. We give Him our supreme respect and affection. That's what it means to fear the Lord, respect and affection. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But we will not be inclined to submit to lesser authorities if we are not determined to submit to the greatest authority. So that's where it has to start. This is yet another reason why Christians should be the best citizens. The police don't have to worry about Christians like they do with others. When other people do things like indulging in their sinful practices, especially in public, uh, when they run through a stop sign, oh boy, I could talk about that one for a while. There's a lot of stop signs in Columbus. A lot of four-way stops. They're all around my neighborhood, and I don't see too many people really stopping. You know, they can, one in particular, they can see every, all the way, you know, anybody that might be coming the other way, and they see nobody's coming, so they just fly on through. That is breaking this commandment. You're not submitting to the laws of the land. You may not get caught for it, but you still did what was wrong, and you certainly did something that could be dangerous. Well, and then lastly, 
Christians should honor the emperor. I kind of wonder here if Peter says this. He's already said it, you know. He said it toward the end of this section, and now he's saying it again. I kind of feel like Peter's thinking that just in case his readers hadn't figured out what he's saying, <laughs> he says it again. He repeats it for emphasis. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Whoever it may be. There's an old saying that people should never talk about religion and politics. We've all heard that before. Well, God tells us to talk about the Christian religion and government. I really like the word government better than politics. Politics is a very negative word. Government is neutral. Well, really, politics should be neutral as far as whether it's a good word or not. But let's face it. Our, union, our nation, our, our union in the United States could use a little enlightening on the biblical teaching about government. Christians should make their views known. Christians should encourage that we uh, stick to the, uh, the good laws that we have and enforce those laws and, and seek that justice is properly done. But the only way that our nation will be enlightened is if you and I shine out the light of God's Word on this subject. The first thing, of course, our concern is whether a person knows Christ, but how do you live for Christ? Well, here's one thing. Submit to your government. As we encounter pushback from non-Christians or maybe even Christians who haven't gotten this all real straight and clear in their lives, from God's Word, as we encounter that, we need to remember that you and I are under the authority, ultimately, of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And our witness about Christ's teaching on government, we must remain faithful to that witness, knowing what, that God will be glorified in our living, and the nation will be stronger and safer and freer to the extent that the gospel transforms Lives and God's principles are implemented in our government. Any government of any nation, including ours, will be blessed if that nation's God is the Lord, as Psalm 33, 12 tells us. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful that we have wisdom that we can be assured is the truth and is wise and is good. Lord, if, we, if the whole country lived by these principles, there would be problems still because we are all still sinners. But we pray that we would be able to see improvements made, beginning with us. Lord, that we would heed this command, even when it stretches our commitment to living by your word. Your word is the way of blessing. And so we pray that we would be able to live out these truths, these principles, when it comes to this part of our, our living, our government. We pray for our government. We pray for our leaders. We do that, Lord, regularly. And we, we ask you, Lord, to, by your Holy Spirit, uh, where necessary, Lord, arouse them to see uh, that they have taken the wrong path in so many cases, 
and let them, Lord, make decisions not in their best interests, but in the best interests of your kingdom and glory. We ask for your help, and we thank you that through Christ we can come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.